Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Ah, uh, taxes. Nobody's favorite subject, but it is the subject of today's episode of the Tourpreneur podcast. Hi, my name is Mitch. Welcome back to another episode of Tourpreneur. If you don't know us, we are a global community of experienced creators. Tourpreneur helps your tour business become better by offering you a weekly podcast, a weekly newsletter, a thriving Facebook community, and a paid membership program, Tourpreneur Plus, that has in-person events, coaching, and everything else to move the needle on your business. It's been a very busy few weeks for the Tourpreneur team. We started February in Porto, Portugal, uh, hosting a small group business retreat for some of our Tourpreneur Plus members. And then we continued on to speak at and host events around uh, the many conferences we've been attending, such as the fantastic Arrival Berlin, um, the enormous ITB conference in Berlin, and most recently the International Wine Tourism Conference in Barcelona, Spain. In addition to that, we have a lot coming up. We have a brand new course uh, on artificial intelligence for tour operators. We have had fantastic discussions on running Google Ads campaigns, on working with travel agents from an expert travel agent themselves. And coming up soon, we have live conversations happening on Tourpreneur Plus with uh, experts on how to avoid burnout and also how to deal with the looming threat of artificial intelligence and how it applies to tour guides, tour design, and everything else. So a lot going on at Tourpreneur, but today my special guest is Chris Foxcroft Hibbs. Chris runs Happy Lifestyle Accounting, and today with Chris, we are going to dive into everything from deductions to budgeting to business forecasting, deciding on your entity structure, of course, tax strategies, and everything else related to accounting for tour operators and tour guides. As always, show notes and much more information is always available at tourpreneur.com. So let's dive in. I am super excited today to have Chris Foxcroft Hibbs on the podcast coming from Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and he is the owner of Happy Lifestyle Accounting, an accounting firm that works with tourism businesses of all stripes, including guides and operators and everything in between. Chris, a huge welcome to Tourpreneur. Thank you, Mitch. I, I'm very glad to be here. Happy to be talking about this stuff. And, you know, taxes make me smile. I don't know what everyone else thinks about it, but, uh, you know, this is the reason I get up and I'm just glad to be able to provide value for people. And thanks for having me on. Really happy to have you here. I don't know if 
the word joy comes to mind when people think about taxes in the same way. But at the same time, we do get joy out of, let's say, getting money back or making sure that we're making the most of our business structure, our deductions and everything else to uh, be a profitable business. And so I think probably operators do feel a sense of joy at the results of working with a good accountant. So we're happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, I get a lot of joy on that too. Chris, it's early 2023 right now. We're in the United States. And so warning, this episode is going to really focus on the United States. But uh, in early 2023, we've all got taxes in our on our minds. And I'm wondering if we could begin this conversation by talking about income taxes, the types of strategies and thinking around that, that we should all be doing right now. So where do we begin when we're a tour guide or an operator thinking about doing our taxes? Yeah. So the, the first step, um, especially because we've already closed 2022, there's really not a whole lot to be done. The, the first step is just making sure you've got all your ducks in a row. All the transactions are recorded. You've got all your documentation, you know, like you said, beginning of the year, you should have some of those documents, like a 1099K or, or some of those tax reporting documents coming in. So right now you need to be focused on getting organized so that you can hand the whole packet off to your tax professional and start working on it. Now, a lot of the conversations we can have and, and we work with tour guides on is what do we do for next year? What do we do for 2023? I mean, 2022 kind of closed, nothing, a whole lot we can do. There's some retirement things possibly that could be done, but the strategy for 2023 is looking at what happened in 2022 and how do we do better? How do we strategize better? And a lot of the base strategy comes from the organization of the business. Now, there are some legal things like an LLC that you can have in place. that's great for protecting your company uh, from lawsuits and things like that. As a non-lawyer, that's just about as much as I know about it, but I do recommend that people have those. But from a tax perspective, you're generally into a sole proprietor group when you first start, and then you can elect to be taxed differently to avoid some of those self-employment taxes. You know, there's a client I've worked with, a tour operator uh, based out of Lake Tahoe, that uh, they switched from an LLC to being taxed as an S-corporation. And in the first year alone, it saved them $20,000 on their taxes. Now, this last year, 2022, it ended up saving them almost $55,000 on the taxes. So the structure, the base level of how the companies organizes for income taxes is where you got to start because that helps leverage everything else from there. Now, once you're there, the next step I always like to have people look through is the retirement part. How do we get that money back into tour operators' pockets into the future? Because some retirement strategies allow you a deductions on your income taxes. And then you're paying yourself into the future rather than paying Uncle Sam. You know, I'm never a big fan of that. I'd rather make sure that our tour operators get paid uh, before Uncle Sam does. And that's something that can be done throughout the year, but that's usually a great way to have a dual benefit of saving on your taxes and retirement, which I think are two parts that a lot of business owners either forget about or don't want to think about or that kind of get left on the wayside because there always feels like there's more pressing issues. Um, some other options that we like to look at is is hiring family members, especially uh, kids of operators. As long as they're doing legitimate work for the company, uh, they could be a potential tax deduction. In paying your kids, you can reduce your payroll taxes, you can reduce your income taxes, and they may not even be claiming that as income. Um, so that's definitely an option. Uh, and those are some of the strategies that we work through on a regular basis with clients to make sure that they're having all of this in place. They're getting the right documentation. They're saving on their income taxes, 
and providing a retirement for themselves. Okay, let's dive into that. Let's <laughs> let's start with let's start with what perked up my ears was saving fifty five thousand dollars a year on your tax bill by becoming an S corp. So yeah. um, a lot of people weigh the pros and cons and think about it from both the kind of burden of being a corporation versus the ease of being an LLC. And also, uh, I've, I've always heard that there's a certain, I guess, income threshold where the costs of an S-corp start to benefit you and, and the, the annoyances of, of electing to be that versus just running with your old run-of-the-mill LLC. So talk me through what, what kind of thoughts you should have in your head about making that decision. Absolutely. And that's a huge piece that I like to talk to clients is what's the, the dollar savings, but what's also your time and effort savings? Like you said, being an S-corp is going to have some additional nuances and additional things you're going to have to do. So there is a time and energy cost. Typically, I like talking with, with uh, businesses that have a profit. So the bottom line, the taxable profit, anywhere from twenty to $50,000 a year. So when you hit that before, before those, the, the costs don't really outweigh the mental costs of having to do those additional steps. But when you get into the twenty to $50,000 of taxable profit, there's some huge potentials for savings, like the $50,000 a year. And this is a reoccurring strategy because it's going to be that way for every year of the business. So the way that an LLC with a single owner is taxed is as a sole proprietor. A sole proprietor pays self-employment tax, at least here in the U.S., of 15.3% on the profit of the company. And where this came from, to give the accounting and nerdy tax background, is that when you're an employee, you pay Social Security and Medicare tax on your wage, and the employer matches that. And together, the combined amount is 15.3%. So when you're self-employed, the profit is your wage, you are an employer and the employee, so you get to pay both halves. Congratulations. Now, um, when you switch to being an S-corporation, the profit of the business is no longer taxed at self-employment tax rate. The profit still flows to use the owner to be taxed at your personal tax rate, but you don't pay the 15.3% on that. And the IRS doesn't really like that because they lose out on money. So what they did is they've made it to where every S-corp owner who does work for the business needs to have a fair and reasonable salary for the work they do. So for example, if we have a tour guide that is profiting $100,000, let's say, the self-employment tax they pay as an LLC is $15,300. If they become an S-corporation and they take a $50,000 wage, the wage is what's going to be taxed with the self-employment tax, the 15.3. So that cuts the tax bill in half by taking $7,000 and putting it as payroll taxes and the remaining $50,000 of profit, because we would reduce the wage out, is no longer taxed at that. So your savings alone for this situation would be at $7,000 just by changing the structure of the business. So that's where we get those savings is really profitable businesses can utilize this to reduce their income taxes. Now there's costs though in creating an S-Corp in terms of also lawyer fees and and some of those things that that, that break into that. There can be. If you have your LLC structured uh, and, and the right documentation in place, this change from an S corporation is really just to change the taxation status of the company. Hmm. Um, there does need to be, you know, I highly recommend that every corporation have you know, monthly meetings or court minutes and try to be as corporate with it as possible. Um, but the taxation is really the important part that changes. 
there are there could be potential legal side or contracts with uh, you know if you're with the Nevada Parks or a parks registration or something like that that maybe needs to change based on your registration uh, that might be outside of the taxation. That's interesting. So you're still an LLC. You're just electing to be taxed as an S corp versus as a sole proprietor. That is correct. So it just changes your taxation. If you start as a corporation, you can also elect to be taxed as an S corporation. So you can be multiple different legal types of entities while still having the same taxation entity. Let's, let's, let's talk about deductions for our tour operators. What kinds of deductions should they be thinking about as operators, especially when they work and travel and so much of what they do is working on their business as they travel and, and you know, the drill. Absolutely. Now the, the short answer is any business oriented expense. It could be a deduction. Uh, my general rule of thumb is if you don't laugh while thinking about putting them on your tax return, it's probably a deduction. <laughs> if you, oh, you know, I would took a trip to the Bahamas and I'm a sip of Mai Tais the whole time and you start to, maybe that's a business and you laugh. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we don't list that trip. But, uh, for the majority of business owners, I like to say that, you know, uh, self-employed people work 25, eight, they're working all the time. Everything is business all the time. Um, and the, the big thing is making sure you get business, uh, personal benefit out of business deductions. The first step is to record everything you're doing. The best way to do that is to have a, a separate business bank account that's opened that is all the business transactions so that it's separate from any personal, really personal type transactions. If you're just an LLC and you don't really have a full business or anything, you can even go to the bank and open up a personal account and just label it for the business so it stays in its own silo of deductions and transactions. Now, what could we put on the business accounts? That can be really anything that's related to the business. If you have a business meal, if you have a business trip, if you buy equipment, if you pay payroll, anything that goes towards the operations of the business is a business deduction. Now, when you get into some of the strategy and you start trying to stretch some of those things a little bit, we can get into some of the possibilities of how do you get the personal benefit out of business deductions? For example, you know, if I've got a client in Missouri and they want to come up to Lake Tahoe to have a good time, I say, well, hey, I'm right next to Lake Tahoe. Why don't you come have an, a trip over here to visit with your accountants? We'll have a meeting on Mon on Friday. We'll have a meeting on Monday during the weekend. When you're here, go have fun at the lake, go have an experience, go explore. So your whole point of coming over here is a business trip. The travel, the hotels, most of the food are going to be deductible for the business. Now, anything you do extracurricular that's outside of that, uh, going to the lake or things like that, those may not be tax deductible because they have business versus pers uh, personal business only. Um, but finding once you get beyond the standard transactions of what, uh, what you're doing every day and recording those properly. Um, getting into those more, Hey, I've got some money and I want to take a trip or a lot of people go tr visit your, uh, a competitor in a different state. So you're not really looking at that and you're trying to get ideas and inspiration from other tours. If you're going there with that purpose, that is a business deduction. So finding the personal benefit of those business deductions is the tip I always like to give. Are there any deductions that people overlook that are commonly sort of not thought about? The, the, the common ones are more in the line of like an LLC can deduct mileage or home office deductions, uh, directly. 
so that if you use your personal business, personal vehicle for business use, you want to track those miles to get the mileage deduction. Um, if you have a home office, which especially now all of us do it to some extent, um, that is something that could be written off as being a self-employed person. Um, there's also a lot of meals, uh, that maybe that if you're providing a meal for your staff who are about to launch the boat and, you know, Hey, you're going to go grab some food for them before they head out so they can have, uh, be, be on their best behavior and, and nice for the tour, uh, for the tourists. That's a deduction, you know, things like that clothes. I, a lot of them I get are, are non deductions. <clears throat> so a lot of the, a lot of the ones I get asked is are clothes a deduction? You know, you want to look nice and things like that. In general, clothes are not a tax deduction. The workaround is to put the business logo on it because now it's advertising. So it's thinking about the transactions and what maybe is not deductible and making it deductible that can be an important step for businesses um, and finding that business use. So putting the logo on a shirt, those shirts are now deductible and you can have the staff wear them and things like that to promote the brand. Should you just stick it on the tag on the back or should it probably be? I've, I've had people who <laughs> they, they bought a black shirt and they used black thread. So, <laughs> so it's, it's there, but a little, little less visible if you didn't want to wear it, uh, if you wanted to wear it outside the business. Regarding your sort of expenses over the course of the year, are there any good tips that you have for how a tour operator should be? categorizing their expenses? Are there standard ways? It seems like I've seen people write all sorts of different kinds of categories. And I'm wondering if the IRS cares about that too much. That That's awesome. That's a huge point. Uh, that's called in accounting, the chart of accounts. It's the categories of all business transactions. In general, the IRS cares about a very limited number um, of, you know, usually a couple of revenue items and then about 20 specific uh, deductions and then kind of this huge bucket for other. And there is a lot of customization that comes across the board. So when looking at deductions and chart of accounts, there's two questions, uh, that we try to answer is first off, what outside reporting needs to happen? The IRS, what do they care about? If you have a mortgage lender or a lender that needs to see financials on a regular basis, what do they care about looking at? You know, if you got to do franchise reporting, what categories do they want to see? And then it's really, what does you as the business owner to manage the effect, the business effectively? Do you, what do you want to see? For example, um, meals, the IRS typically allows 50% deduction on business meals, but if they're travel meals, they can be a hundred percent deductible. So separating out some things for the IRS can be really good, but the business owner may not necessarily care that it was travel meals or just a meal with a client. Uh, they may want to just see the category meals. So the big ones are, you know, your advertising, insurance, payroll, uh, but the list can go as long or as short. Uh, I've got one client that uh, they maxed out the number of chart of accounts they could have in their software package. They were at the limit. They were tracking all the wrong details in such fine detail that they were wasting their time on it. So a lot of... Uh, bookkeeping software have preset chart of accounts and I would recommend starting there and adding a few things that the business owner wants to see but the the IRS cares about really just some of the big ones and those are the ones that are listed on the tax forms uh, depending on what type of tax entity you might have we have a lot of operators who might run both multiple day experiences and 
single day experiences. I'm wondering at what point is it advantageous to think about your think about using separate entities versus using one overall business structure and then running a lot of different enterprises underneath it. So there's a lot of good options for that. And and I would recommend looking at location as the biggest determining factor for that. So businesses that might have multiple locations in potentially different tax jurisdictions would really want to look at this. I've got a client who they have a California entity and a Nevada entity. California is a little less fun to deal with on the tax side and they tax things a lot heavier. So the, but they have activity in California, so they have to report that activity. But what we do is we do a management fee back to the Nevada company that reduces the income on the California side to reimburse for expenses the Nevada side has to be tax advantageous. Um, that's definitely a big factor there for saving taxes for the different entities. It can also separate liability because each LLC, now I'm not a lawyer, but each LLC helps keep each business activity in a silo. So if you have a a tourist who trips and falls and they sue one location, legally that might be a different entity than separate locations that have other assets or things on the table that could be part of a lawsuit. So the length and type of the tour, I don't think is a big indicator of different entities. I think the location and some of the tax benefits or legal benefits or insurance benefits uh, might come bad better with that. But with that, you're going to have a lot, uh, almost exponential cost because each entity will need its own tax return. Each entity will need its own insurance, its own liability, workers, comp. Uh, all of these things, you now have two companies, which in general might mean double the cost for some of those things. But if the benefit outweighs those costs of the better taxation or, or better structure or legal separation, there is an option uh, that some states have that's called a series LLC, where when you register with your LLC at the state, you can check a box that allows you to open up separate entities under the parent LLC without having to do separate registrations with the state. Now you still have the issue of insurance and bank accounts and things like that, but it helps truncate the administrative time that goes into that on the LLC side. And that's a big factor is looking at the cost for dollar amount and the cost for energy and time. So unless there's a really good reason, the short answer for me would be keep it all one entity unless there's that really good taxation reason or so on and so forth. Great. Before we move on, is there anything else tax-related that should be on the minds of our community right now? File. File your tax. Don't wait. My goodness. Uh, I, I'm working with a lot of people, and we've already got their taxes done, and they get to move on to the next step where some of the rest of us might be looking at, well, this is still something that's on my plate. Oh, it's on the back burner. I know I got to get to it. But you can't really sleep fully at night when you think about the IRS peering over your shoulder. So file early, get it taken care of, get it off your plate and move forward. And the best way to do that is to make sure you've got your bookkeeping and transactions taken care of on a regular basis so that pretty much when you close up the last month of the year, your tax, your tax reports are ready to go. So that's my tips. File soon, file now, get it done. <laughs> Ugh, I wish I didn't ask that. I feel very seen now. I have four LLCs and you know when my mental tax deadline is? October 15th. Yes, that's that's a lot of people operate that way where they do the automatic extensions where if you can file it for your business on March 15th or on April 15th, depending on how things are set up, gives you that six-month extension. I think that's that's 
if if there's a legitimate reason to do so, then perfect. But uh, I I do always hope that people are filing their taxes on time as soon as possible. How many legitimate reasons do you think there are out there? Maybe, Maybe one, about two. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along, before I get too depressed during this conversation. Let's talk about another early year kind of topic before the busy, crazy season starts to happen. Uh, let's talk about budgeting. In what ways should an operator be thinking about their finances at either the end of the year or kind of before the busy season begins uh, uh, from an accounting standpoint? Perfect. So once you've filed your taxes and you can move on from that, then you can go ahead and one of the things is looking at the budgeting now, some people do budgeting for the entire year and they just say, well, over the next 12 months, this is uh, what we should be looking at doing and how we should try to do it. Because that's what the budget is, is. It's the plan for how your money needs to go. And if you don't have a plan for that, it's going to go to the worst possible places. I believe Benjamin Franklin said something to the effect of failing to plan is having a plan to fail. Um, or not having a plan is a planning to fail. And that budget really just tells the business funds where it needs to go and when it needs to go there. The most efficient and best way that I like to budget with my clients is a rolling 24-month budget. So we're looking at two years into the future on a monthly basis. And as each month ends, we're updating the 24th month. So we're looking that far in advance and we're tweaking as we go so that they can look at it and say, well, this is how much we anticipate making. This is where our cash flow is going to be. Here's the off season where we're going to have these big expenses. You know, and taxes is one of those that a lot of people don't think about the taxes until January 1st when they need to have some savings set aside. They need to make sure they're working on their strategy. And that budget allows them to operate their business funds through that plan. And a lot of budgets are just your income and your expenses. What do we plan on making? What do we plan on spending? But there are those big ticket items, you know, if you need to get new equipment, if you need to save for taxes, you know, as an owner, it would be nice to get paid every now and again. Uh, and things like that, that span over more than just the 12 months or, or in specific months and making sure you've got the cash flow. Um, another problem with budgets that I see is that it's top down method. We look at, well, we're going to make this much in revenue and we're going to have this much in expenses. And if there's some profit left over, we'll deal with it at that point. I like to reverse that thinking and go backwards budgeting. We want to make sure that you as the business owner are paid. You know, the reason that we have businesses primarily is to make money. I mean, I like being happy, but money is the great way to do that as well. And so starting with that number and saying, well, how much do you need to live? How much do you want to go on vacations? How much do you want to have set aside for your retirement? And then working backwards from there to say, well, if this is how much revenue or profit we want to have at the end of the year, this is how much we need to spend on these categories. And this is how much revenue we need to cover the operating costs and have something left over for us. So those are the two biggest uh, tips for budgets is looking at yourself first, being a little self-centered there so you can make sure you're taken care of and that backwards budgeting and also looking at more than just 12 months because there's so much that happens and COVID taught us a lot of some people weren't budgeting enough, some people needed to do a little better and, and helped us highlight looking out as far as we can within a reason. When you're looking at multiple entities, a lot of times that is because you might own locations and also have franchisees. 
I'm wondering for our larger operators in our community, are there sets of tax strategies that they should be thinking about when they are working in that franchise model or license model, or they have opened up now eight locations? Absolutely. So when, when working with different entities with the same ownership, uh, same same taxable responsibility back to essentially the one person or partners, um, there can be a lot of cross-company transactions that need to be recorded in a specific way to where if company A gets a sweet discount on boats and so they buy all the boats for all eight locations, each location should be taking their share and, and location one shouldn't be recording all of those expenses. So there is ways in the accounting to show, well, this transaction left bank A's bank account. Is it going to be reimbursed? Does it need to be an owner's draw from one company and contribute it to the other? There's a lot of different factors that might go into how that's recorded, but that does need to be tracked when you have separate entities of making sure it's clear that this is business A's direct expenses and this is business B's direct expenses and deductions and making sure if there is any crossover that that's tracked and reconciled at the end of the year. In relation to this big question of budgeting, are there often pitfalls that you see an operator or a guide make when thinking about the money they have? I'm sure one of them, for example, is forgetting to save some money to pay for taxes. Um, but I'm wondering if there are things that are a little bit more nuanced and overlooked. Um, a little bit. And, and there's one person who told me when they were doing their budgeting before we started working together, they would just throw 30% on there. They, they just expected a 30% cost. They didn't really know what it was for. They didn't really have an idea. They ended up getting really close to what they had budgeted. Uh, but they had that, that question mark. They didn't have all of the things broken down or where they didn't think about something. And so they just threw this 30% on there where if they had gotten their budget a better fine tune, they could have realized they overspent on this one category that would have saved them money and actually increased their profits. So knowing mm -hmm. those things that you don't know, you don't know is the biggest pitfall for a lot of business owners who don't think about, well, my season might be over the winter. And so that's bridging two calendar years, but income taxes are typically reported on a calendar year basis. And so knowing that, well, this portion of it is actually going to be a part of last year's taxes, or even knowing that there's a possibility to change your calendar year to a fiscal year. So the, a lot of the pitfalls, unfortunately, are just tour operators not knowing what they don't know about their budgeting. That's a really interesting question. I run into this, um, in my own tour operation, I operate school tours in which a family will begin paying for a trip a year in advance. Uh, and the payments are made in one calendar year and the actual operational costs or the expenses are happening in another calendar year. And I'm wondering from your point of view, uh, to me, this speaks to kind of cash versus accrual accounting and maybe it connects to your business entity structure as well. Uh, but what um, what kind of thoughts should one have around that kind of disparity of expenses versus operational costs? Absolutely, Mitch. And that, that's, I've got a client who's in the educational realm as well, and they help take uh, students, uh, college level students from other countries, primarily in Europe, and bring them to the U.S. to, you know, watch sports games, go to businesses, learn the business culture. 
But the timing of things are usually a year in advance. They're getting bookings a year in advance. They're paying for some of the costs a year in advance. And one of the best strategies that uh, can help with that, because if you have a deduction in the year that you don't make the money, you're not going to be paying taxes. But if you, in the year that you make money, you have no deduction to offset that. So you're going to be paying more in taxes in the year that you have the revenue. Because typically, and this is separate of entity structure, every type of entity can choose one of the two main methods of accounting. There are others than uh, modified ways to do things, but the two big ones are cash and accrual methods of accounting. Cash is really easy, and it's the default for everyone. And us as individual income taxpayers in the U.S., as individuals, are cash basis. But for businesses, we get to choose cash or accrual. So cash is, and the difference between the two is really timing and the recognition of the transactions. So cash method is you record everything on the date the cash changed hands. And sometimes it's not cash. Sometimes it might be a credit card swipe or when you got the loan or somebody else paid for it instead or when it gets reimbursed. But you record everything in the year that it's paid. So like in the examples we're talking about here, if you pay for a supplier, if you pay for hotel rooms for next year, but you pay for it this year, under a cash method, you're reporting it this year. Now, the accrual method is the opposite. You record transactions as they actually happen, not when they're paid for. So if you pay for hotel bookings this year, but it's really for next year, under the accrual method of accounting, you're going to be recording that expense next year when the actual stays in the hotel happen, which is going to closely align your revenue and your income uh, to the actual activity that happens. Now, there are some businesses who have a lot of inventory who must do accrual accounting because you might order something and it might take six months to get here. And that might be different calendar or fiscal years. Um, you know, a lot of people who are ordering equipment, same kind of concept is you have to order the equipment. You know, if you're getting kayaks or something like that, you got to order it in advance before it actually gets here. So when you record the transaction is when you pay for it or when you receive it. And those are the two different methods that might bunch your income and expenses to match more effectively for your income taxes and potentially save you a lot of money on taxes there too. To me, that speaks on some level to the question we had about expense recording as well. Uh, you have, of course, your, your IRS categories that they care about, meals, office supplies, whatever. But then would you recommend on that level uh, secondary tracking of some sort that speaks to recording that for a future trip or something? And what do you recommend for that kind of process? Definitely. So I do recommend there's there's different levels of bookkeeping. You know, you start as simple as pen and paper. Not very great. You might you're going to forget things. Uh, you can switch to Excel. Still a lot of manual work. You might forget things, but there's a lot of bookkeeping softwares that are out there that are really cheap for, for monthly subscription software prices, you know, 20 to 30 bucks usually. In those systems, depending on the system, it, you can record those prepayments. And any prepayments like that are going to affect your balance sheet rather than your income statement. So you would use your income statement for reporting for income taxes. But the balance sheet is where that transaction is going to sit until you actually do the expense. And that's when it would get moved to your income uh, statement. So it still might be in the travel category. It just needs to be parked until next year. Uh, and then making sure it gets adjusted down when that activity happens. So it, you know, I like using the zero platform for bookkeeping XERO. And in that you can have uh, receivables and payables and credit notes and prepaid amounts and certain set types of transactions to record those future 
will potentially pass transactions in the correct way. There's zero. There's wave. There's QuickBooks. What books. what are what what are what are your thoughts relatively to each other? Um, you like zero. Is that because you're annoyed by QuickBooks, or does it not really matter for you? No, uh, QuickBooks is is extremely annoying. Uh, they have a lot of a, a good amount of functionality. Mm-hmm. The price is slightly higher for QuickBooks Online comparative to zero, uh, but QuickBooks is 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 a pain to work with from a software perspective, from a technology perspective. They do it their way, and that's it. If if there's a new app or new system you might be using that hasn't built, taken that investment to build the connection with QuickBooks, there may not be one. Um, I like the zero model because it is better user interface, um, and they really focus on the activity with different apps and the way that it works with those systems um, to build a better ecosystem of your financial information. Um, also, calling support with QuickBooks, you're going to be on hold. You're going to be talking to somebody who doesn't know what they're dealing with. But in the zero platform, they have better work documents and support systems to make sure that you can use it effectively. Also, as an accountant, I have better tools in the Zero platform to build better custom reports where I can really get into the details and manipulate formulas to show the right information. Whereas in QuickBooks, you don't have that option. Um, so I think as a user of the system, Zero is better user interface, better flight, better cost, better connectivity. But as a, an advisor and as an accountant, it also has better tools. Great advice. So. Regarding this budgeting question over the course of a couple of years, I'm wondering if you help your clients think about profit planning, about growth and scale, and the way they should be thinking about their numbers in terms of uh, what they're looking to project and grow towards. Absolutely. Uh, In the budgeting software I like to operate with, uh, we build in the seasonality and we also build in driver information. Based, it can be based off of location, it can be based off the number of tours, the type of tours. So we can get as granular to say, well, in five years, I only want to be doing this type of tour, or I want to be doing 50-50 of these two types of tours, but it's going to take time to build out that new tour. And I will kind of want to see where things might be as we grow towards that. So we can even say, well, if five tours of this type are done and two of this type, and we have it set up to where they're going to have this much revenue, this much uh, attendance, this much cost for the tour guides and fuel, we can have an annual company-wide budget, a monthly budget that shows based on those drivers, how the company is going to look. And we can, I like to do two years. We can go as far as 10 years into the future in most cases. Uh, for budgeting, but really that 10 year needs to be more of a picture of where do you want to see yourself? And then we look at five years and three years and and two years, uh, where we can structure out, where do we see things going? How do we want the cash flow? You know, we know we need to buy a new boat. So we've got to see in year two, we've got to have that ready and available for that cash flow and, and where the profit can go and where the taxes need to go, uh, so that they can plan all aspects of the business. That's great feels like at this point we're getting into questions around reporting and numbers and sort of tracking the right details in your business to make sure that you can have an intelligent conversation with you, the accountant, and not just say, oh, I want more money. And I'm wondering <laughs> if if from your vantage point, there's certain metrics or numbers or details that you 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 find really important that an operator should be tracking. Absolutely. And and what I like to deal with and work with my clients on is setting up a scorecard that tracks these metrics 
typically on a weekly or a monthly basis so that we can see where those metrics are on a regular basis very easily. Um, and some of those uh, are going to include bank balance. Some of those are going to include revenue, uh, cert certain types of expenses or fees um, that need to be tracked and looked at. Um, the number of tours. And I like making sure that everyone in the company has a number that they're responsible for. You know, if it's your booking uh, specialist and reservation specialist, then maybe it's the number of phone calls they have every day because that could tell you, okay, if, if we book a week in advance and we didn't really get very many phone calls this week for booking, next week may be a shorter month or a shorter week. We may not have the cash flow we were expecting. So looking at some of the non-financial metrics is also really important. But having the reporting set up to show you those numbers in a clear and concise format so you can see the trends in your business is really important. Every business might have different uh, metrics of things they want to track. You know, how did this location do? How did this tour do? Um, and really getting into that interview process of working in depth with my clients and trying to take on their perspective of this is what they want to see. This is their goals. How do we get them to see the information in a timely and accurate fashion to make the best decisions possible? Um, and really sitting down and building out what's going to be important to you. You know, a walking tour guide might be looking at how many tours are booked, if they have other staff, how that's going to work, you know, what routes do we need to be looking at? Whereas a multi-entity, uh, multi-location is going to have a larger system to look at uh, that we want to highlight just the key points that matter. What does a healthy business look like on that reporting level to you in terms of profit margin, net net revenues, just looking down that kind of financial value chain? What 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 looks good to you as a doctor of money? What I like to see is a smile when talking with my business owner. I know that that may not be the direct answer you're looking for, but I think that's how I evaluate that we're looking at the right things. That there's that light bulb in their head that they understand what's going on. Now, from healthy numbers perspective, that can be a widely vast number. If you are a solo, solo uh, tour entrepreneur running ghost tours and it's a walking tour, you may not have very much cost. You may not have very much of these things. So your profit margin might be 50% or more. If you're uh, eight locations and a lot of offered, a lot of tour guides, and a lot, your profit margin might be 10%. So when we set up the scorecard, it's either did you hit it or did you not hit it? So an X and a check mark. I like seeing check marks all across the board when we're looking at those numbers that we hit what we were trying to hit. So the direct answer is the happiness and that the results we tried to get are achieved. But the specific numbers might be very different. Um, and the different needs, you know, some businesses might have just a, a low, they don't need a whole lot of profit. They need enough to cover their personal bills and then they're happy with that. Um, and some people want to become millionaires and billionaires, and they might be looking to get a higher profit margin. So it sounds like you have a real, uh, I guess, hands-on approach. It's not just somebody's dumping a bunch of documents at you once a year, but that you're working strategically to help them grow their business. On that level, what does, I guess, a healthy uh, relationship look like with your accountant? How often should you be talking to your accountant and... Uh, I have a feeling some use you as a therapist and some, uh, unfortunately talk to you once a year and you get handed a whole bunch of symptoms. Yes, absolutely. Across the board. I like to say that as a tax accountant, I'm like a doctor, a priest and a therapist that I get told <laughs> things that 
I don't know why you told me that. It's not really relevant, but thank you for sharing. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's crazy the level of detail that's that I've, that I have personal views into to people's lives and their businesses. What I like to operate with and, and my, my proactive life cycle of a client, what I call it is we're meeting nearly 30 times a year. We are, this is, I don't like working with people on a one time a year basis. And I have got clients that I work with on that because that's what they need. And I like to match the value that's provided with their needs. But I also like making sure they're getting on more than they should. And I, that communication is one of the core values into what I do. So, you know, typically, you know, once, once we have a discovery call, we have a scheduled strategy meeting where we get you onboarded. We look at what do we need to do back taxes? Do we need to do cleanup work? From there, we move into our proactive cycle where we're meeting typically once a month, once every two weeks, usually. And that, you know, first time of the month, we're talking about what happened last month where shell we're projecting out the next 24 months the next uh, the two weeks from there we typically have a check-in call that may be five ten minutes but it's hey how's things going do you have any questions did payroll get ran that's usually the big part is making sure payrolls ran on that second off week and so we're meeting throughout the time we have quarterly meetings where we go into depth and we look at the strategy what do we want to accomplish over the next 90 days uh, and then we take a look at on an annual basis. Hey, we got your tax returns drafted. Let's have a meeting about that. It, it's almost, I'd love to over meet, uh, because I think that that extra communication, especially about numbers where people aren't, aren't really familiar about it or have that in-depth knowledge. Uh, this is what they're paying for, what they like to have. You know, I always say as an accountant, what I really provide is a piece of paper with numbers on it. I guess in today's stage, it's a PDF with numbers on it. But what I really provide is the trust that those numbers are correct. And having that in-depth communication all the time throughout the year is a big part of that. Spoken like a man who charges by the hour. No. <laughs> so, that's also part of it is because if I, I found and, and is becoming a lot more relevant um, is that people are afraid to pick up that phone if they know there's going to be a bill charge yeah. it, which means they don't ask the question they need to ask, which means they're stuck. They don't get to move beyond this part because they're stuck in where they're at. And I don't like people being stuck there. So I like to work with clients on a fixed monthly price that includes everything. Um, so it's just a one month cost rather than, oh, we filed your taxes or we're going to nickel and dime you for this fee or that fee. Or, you know, you, we talked on the phone for half an hour last week and that was more than the 15 minutes we budgeted. Um, you know, if work is increasing, that might change into the future, but really I like removing that factor. And I think that when people are paying for a service or a product, they expect the end result. How you get to the end result is really irrelevant. If I spend 10 hours of time working on somebody, but they just want the end result, if it takes me an hour versus 10 hours, they don't really care. They want the end result. So I like doing a fixed pricing plan so that that eliminates all of those factors and just month to month as well. Cause that stickiness of, oh, I'm in a contract or, you know, I really don't like my accountants, but it's just who I go to. You know, those are, those are terrible reasons to be working with that person. So I like to keep it, you know, if you want to work with me, great. If you don't, then I don't really want to work with you either. Cause I like working with people like who like to work with me. And it's definitely a two way street, the way, the way I approach it. The name happy is in your name. Come on. Absolutely. Uh, if you're not, well, I always tell people, if you're not happy, nothing else matters. So you need to be happy. You know, that's such a powerful message. It's worth repeating because. I know so many operators who work in passion-filled businesses that are making thousands of people happy every year and they're miserable doing it. And it's because they don't have that 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 
that mentality of understanding their numbers and their business from that granular standpoint. And part of it probably comes from fear. It's kind of like going to a doctor. It's ripping the Band-Aid. It's sort of beginning to recognize whether or not you have a successful business right now or whether you're what we call it a busy fool, whether you're just working really hard at making other people happy, but not yourself. Yeah, I, I found that that's, especially as an accountant, you know, it's a field that nobody really likes. I love it, so I don't understand that. But uh, <laughs> a lot of people who try to do it themselves, they are those busy fools that they may spend two, three days working on this budget for a specific project. And, you know, they lose sleep. They, they pull in their hair out. They're by no means anywhere close to being happy uh, because they're trying to do it themselves. And trying to work through it, you know, Google accounting and see what they can get from there and, and watch YouTube videos. So that's that's a lot of where I think that I can provide happiness for a lot of uh, and value for tour operators is by taking those tasks that they don't know enough about or they don't know the right ways to do it and take those off those plates so they can focus on what makes them happy and their passion. Uh, you know, I found that's the huge in the tour industries. The owners have such passion for what they do. It's 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 outstanding. So um, in our final minutes, Chris, I know we could talk for the next 10 hours and we'll definitely have you back in the tourpreneur family for all sorts of other, other moments of education. But I wanted to just finish up by asking uh, your advice on operators thinking about their general business operations and how accounting fits in, what the best practices are, and thinking just operational, operationally about how to, how to best work with an accountant and best... Uh, set the right practices for the businesses. Absolutely. I mean, at its base, accounting is taking all the transactions of the business and putting it into reports that you can use to make management decisions. And so being able to work with a professional on a regular, timely basis to know where your numbers are, rather than that gut feeling. A lot of people are like, well, I know my business is doing good. I can feel it in my gut. And knowing the numbers of how and where those things are. So the business operation side is reading beyond the numbers and being able to see the report and know enough about it to go, well, why is that number this way? And then we can dig into it. We can look at, well, you know, this tour guide is not producing the revenue that we were hoping or anything like that, that that can help the business operations, the timeliness. You know, if you look back at a, a financials from a year ago, it's hard to know what happened because it was a year ago. It's it's difficult to remember. So being able to see things on a regular basis is how you increase your operational efficiency um, by knowing where your numbers are on a regular basis, preferably a monthly basis, so that you can see where you might be having operational deficits and be able to fix those in a basically real time rather than six months or a year down the road after it's been working long for the past six months and causing untold damage. Um, so that's really the best benefit is working with a professional who's going to work with you on a regular basis. You know, the shoebox type of tax reporting where you walk in with your shoebox full of receipts and say, here you go, just doesn't cut it because you got to be looking at it on a regular basis. Chris, Wonderful advice. I hear some operational responsibilities in the background in your in your room. And um, I wanted to just thank you for this uh, first of what will probably be um, many sessions of exploring the dark arts of accounting for our for our community. No, thank you very much for having me, Mitch. I love working uh, in doing these educational things and trying to provide value to as many people as possible. 
uh, especially tour operators who have such a passion for what they do and they need that that support behind them to make sure they can be efficient and profitable and not paying income taxes as much as they should um so thank you for that opportunity and a pleasure chatting with you and looking forward to many more opportunities in the future too